That being said, if you could turn your Bibles, open your Bibles, your e-Bibles, your app Bibles, uh, iPad or paper Bibles, whatever it is that you have. And I'm excited to do this series within a series. We've been doing this sermon series in the book of Exodus for the last several weeks, several upon several upon several weeks. And uh, yes, last week we began the introductory portion of what would be the next remaining 10 weeks. The next, why 10 weeks, Pastor Tom? Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We are going to be speaking on the 10 commandments. The Ten Commandments. And I kind of introduced this to you last week. Why? Because if we simply took each one of these by itself, then we could become moralistic people. There would be no difference in between us and Islam and us and Jehovah Witness and us and Mormonism if we simply just took the Ten Commandments. Why do I say that? Because then they would just be a set of do's and don'ts. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. To enter the kingdom. Do this. Do that. You need to do this. You need to do that in order to be able to enter the kingdom. And so one of the things that I introduced last week is that you cannot simply begin reading your Bibles at Exodus chapter 20 and think that the Ten Commandments are all there is to God, and it's the set of rules of do's and don'ts. I explained that even before then, there are 19 other chapters in the book of Exodus before that that speak about the heart of God and God's transaction with these people. It just does not begin at the Ten Commandments. And even before those 19 chapters, there are several more chapters in the book of Genesis that explains God's heart and God's dealing with humanity. All this to say the Ten Commandments are not the supreme mountain that rises from Scripture. They aren't an island to themselves. They are swoven into the rest of Scripture. And they are to be taken within the context of a loving God that cares so deeply for his children so as they would not fall astray. I explained last week and I shared last week that my daughter loves to play on her little ATV. She's got this little Frozen ATV from the Disney movie Frozen and she's got this little ATV that she loves to ride around. And I'm her daddy and I love to see her ride around. Absolutely, it's incredible to see her ride around. But you know what? Um, In order to preserve her safety... And so that she would not run on the road or get harmed or would be harmed by anyone else, I had a fence built. And the fence protects her so that she could operate within the freedom that I love to give her as her daddy, but so that she could be safe within that freedom. The Ten Commandments and the law of God are the fence that God places around us. They are not restrictive. They are not burdening. They are not enslaving. They are the heart of a loving father that wants the best for their child. Every once in a while, a kid will come and do something that they shouldn't do, right? They'll try to stick a fork inside an electrical outlet. Or they'll go into the draw and try to take some knives out and play around with them. Or they'll be doing arts and crafts and try to reach into the bag that has a scissor in it. Well, the reality is, and I was told this when when I was a, a young cadet in the military. I was told this by my first sergeant. He said, 
you know, the, the adult that you walk around with and that you interact with in life is the same kid that was in the sandbox. And not much changes in life. And so the truth is, not much changes. The kid that liked to go for the scissors and the knife likes to go for harmful things in their adulthood sometimes. And God is the loving father that places guards around us so that we will not fall into the traps that the great Pharaoh, Satan, wishes for us to fall into. The first commandment is that there is one God. One God. He tells us he's the God who set us free so that we can live free. He says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, if you'd read that with me, you shall have no other gods before me. When you're teaching a child, when I'm teaching a child, when I'm trying to sit down with my daughter, I try to go over the, the colors first so that she can identify colors. And I try to go through numbers so that she can identify numbers. And I'll go through the alphabet with her so that she can identify because she cannot construct words together on a piece of paper unless I show her the basics. When she was learning to talk, I would sound out words with her. And now she just pretty much captures anything like a parrot that comes out of my mouth. (laughs) But I started out at the basic rudimentary level so that she could be able to understand and comprehend the basics of things. This is the basics of Scripture. This is something that we need to teach our kids. Don't forget this one, anybody. There is one God, and that's where he begins. One God. The commandments are actually in in order of importance. One through ten. And they're in a progression where this enables this or contributes to that or the next one results in this. And so the most basic, step one, and the greatest of all of these building blocks is that there is one God. The first four commandments are a relationship with God because the relationship with God is the most important. And then the last six speak to our relationship with our neighbors, how we treat other people in light of how God treats us. It's why when they come to the Lord Jesus, he says, here it is in summary. The 613 laws, the 10 that I had written down on tablets of stones, they can be summarized in two ideas. Love who? Love God and love who? Love your neighbor. It's the whole Ten Commandments summarized, right? It's Jesus' tweet for 613 commandments. It's the summary big idea. Now the issue is this. We've been set free, but we're not living free. We're in slavery. We left Egypt, but we're committing adultery. We left Egypt, but we're stealing, and we're lying, and we're throwing in weird spirituality and false gods in the mix, and somebody's got schematics going around and blueprints for a golden calf. This is just really not going well for the children of Israel at this point in time. And dad's about to sit the kids on the couch and say, kids, listen to me. First things first, there's one God. I'm God. You're not. (laughs) They're not. Nobody else is God. Nobody else is God. He's God. You can't live free until you realize that there's one God and that you're not him. And this is going to blow your mind. You're not the center of the universe. 
you're not the most important person. The reason that many people are miserable is because you're worshiping yourself and you were never made to do that. You were made and built and constructed and architected to worship him. You were made and built and architected to enjoy him. You were made and built to glorify him. And when you make yourself the center of your life, you make yourself miserable. God doesn't look at them and say, most important thing, you. You. Draw a circle, okay, write your name down, draw a circle around it. All right, everything else is going to orbit around that, and I'll be out here just blessing you. Oh, you want sex. Oh, you want money. You want fame. You want power. That's great. You sit on the throne. I'll be the butler. You hand me the request, and I'll answer it, and we'll call it prayer. No. He says, draw a circle. Write my name in it. What this means is God is not just at the top of our priority list, but demands to be the center of our lives. There's a big difference. Oh, yeah, I love God and I go to work and it's not like we check the first off the list and move on to the rest. God's the center of our life and he's going to say, okay, since I'm the center of your life, let's talk about your worship. Let's talk about your money. Let's talk about your marriage and relationship issues. Let's talk about your possessions. Let's talk about your real estate. Let's talk about your sexuality. Let's talk about all these things. When I become the center of your life, we can begin to have discussions about the details. Details. Everything has to be connected to him. If you choose to sin, then you've chosen to suffer. There's one God. How many gods? What's it mean in Hebrew? One. One. Does it say anywhere else in the Bible that there's one God? Everywhere. Other people say, well, well there are a lot of gods, but God says there's one. Other people say there's no God. But God says he's God. The agnostics say we can't know God. And I'll tell you, God says you can know for sure. I even wrote a book to prove it. Some come along and say, oh, well, no, everything in the world is all a part of God. No, but God says I made the world. Creation is subject to me and not the other way around. This answers every philosophical, theological, and spiritual question that you can ever have in your life. There is one. God. See, in that day, they had a ton of gods, though. See, it was very common to have a ton of gods. You can read it in the Bible. There's all kinds of false gods and goddesses. They're really demons who try to bless people. But there's Asherah. There's Baal. There's Molech. There's Shamos. There's a whole list of other gods found in the Bible. And some of us will practice what the great writer C.S. Lewis Ever heard of C.S. Lewis? The Chronicles of Narnia and many other excellent books calls chronological snobbery. We'll go to the Bible and say, oh, yeah, back in the day they were very primitive people. They worshiped these gods with weird names, and thankfully we're not like that. But here's how it works. The reason they had multiple gods is because the gods promised to give you different things. This god or goddess of sex or that God of goddess of fame or that God of money or pleasure or comfort or fertility or children or power or promotion. And so here's the question. Behind all those things exists a spirit. Do we worship those things? 
Anybody here have sexual problems? Anybody here have financial problems? Anybody here have relational problems, employment problems? Anyone? Anyone make a real shipwreck of their life chasing any one of those things? Then you've worshipped a false god before. Now we may call it success. They may have called it Molech. Same thing. All Satan has done is just rebrand old demons. God says there's one God, him alone, and him at the center, and that's it. And there's a little bit of a debate here. Let's do a full circle. No other gods before me. And the theologians all debate, well, what does that mean? There are four basic perspectives, and I'll share it with you. One is a God in front of me, alongside of me, instead of me, or in conflict with me. That's what all of that can mean. My answer is yes to all of the above. And I'm going to put it to you this way. Think about this this way. If Crystal, and she would never do this, and she never will, but hypothetically speaking, if my wife came to me and said, I love having a relationship with you, I don't think it should be exclusive, however. There is a man or other man that I'd like to see. Where would you like those men? Ahead of you, to the right of you, to your left, or behind you? And the answer is at the end of my fist or under my boot. That's where I would like them, right? I don't want any other men orbiting around us. Why? Because I'm a jealous husband. Not like your stalker high school boyfriend who keeps friending you on Facebook. But I'm jealous in that I love my wife. And I'm in a covenant with her. And our love is exclusive. It doesn't include anyone else. And if it were to include anyone else, it would be ruined. See, God loves his children like a father loves his children. God loves his people like a husband loves his wife. So God is looking at you and us and I, and he's saying, we're married. You don't get to run around with anybody else. You don't get to sleep with anybody else. You don't get to have anybody but me. We're married, I love you, and I'm not going to share this relationship with anybody else. Some would say that's very unloving of God, but I would say that's very loving. That's incredibly loving that all God, does, all God wants you to desire is him. And God is passionately desiring after you. I'd call it a good relationship that we should base and mirror all the rest of our relationships on. So who's your God? The second most important decision that you will ever make in your life is who you will marry. The most important decision that you will make is whom you will worship. Who's your God? Some of you say it's Jesus. They would have said it's Yahweh. I say it's the same guy. There could be a difference between your functional God, though, and your actual God. They would have said, we worship Yahweh, but it's okay that we commit adultery and stealing and lie. You see, you and I are prone to have functional gods. And they're actually something different from our actual God. And the way it works is this. We all have some concept of hell in our lives. And we all have some concept of heaven. And then we run to some God to save us from our hell and to put us in our own concept of heaven. 
So don't look at this risen king and say, you know what? Yeah, it's a long time ago. Foolish people picked false gods. They went into slavery. Here's the real deal for you, folks. God never changes. People never change. The problems are always the same, and the solution remains the same. I want to help you this morning, though. I want to help you to be able to find your functional God. And I'll ask you some questions that I want you to take and I want you to process and I want you to consider. Number one, who or what do you live for? Marriage, children, promotion, house, beauty, sex, pleasure, comfort, leisure, sports, peace. Pastor, those are not bad things. No, but when good things become God things, they become bad things. Number two, who or what can you not live without? I have to have them. I have to have it. Don't take them. Don't take that away from me. Who or what do you run to in times of need? See, it's been a horrible day. Just need to get in your chair. Maybe you need to pour a drink or go to the refrigerator because your beer is your comfort. Or you need to turn on the TV just so that you can create your own idea of heaven for a moment. What causes you your highest joy and your lowest grief? Our emotions betray us. Yeah, I got it. No, I lost it. Was it God? Was it the functional God and not the actual God? Who or what is at the center of your life? What does your schedule orbit around? What does your budget orbit around? What does your emotional life orbit around? Whatever that is, it's the functional God that rules over your life. God loves to set free but we have to live free. We see this in Exodus. He set them free, but they've got to walk with him. That's the living free part. God does all the setting free. God leads and helps us in the living free. But we have to walk with him in the freedom that he has already set before us. One of the most devastating, emotional, emotionally devastating parts of what I love, and I love being your pastor. And I've been doing this, and we're going on our sixth year now. Six years of me being your pastor. I have earned every gray hair. And what destroys this father's heart, and what certainly destroys the father's heart, is when the children of God who have been set free don't live free. I don't want any of my children to live as slaves. I don't want any of God's children to live as slaves. But my observation over the years is that some do and some do for different reasons. And so the very last question I'll delve into is this. Why do people who are set free not live free? And don't think about your friend because that's what we like to do. Why do people who have been set free don't live free? Well, I, my mind goes to Jane Doe and, and, you know, all those guys that she's been with. No, 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 no. I want you to focus on you. This is about you this morning. This ain't about that person's mouth, your neighbor's mouth, your wife's mouth, your husband's mouth, your kids and all their harassment, the harassment that you receive at work and the sinfulness of that. No, 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 no. Don't focus on anybody else but you. Think about yourself. Something in your life where you say, no, that would fit into the category of sin, not freedom to worship God. Paul, looking back at the law, says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. You don't need to go back. You do not need to submit to the yoke of what? 
Paul says, the yoke of slavery. Don't stick your head through the yoke and carry the burden that Jesus has already carried on your behalf. So here are five things that I've heard from people I love who choose to live in slavery. Though they have been set free, they choose not to live free. Number one, I believe the lie that I cannot change over the truth that I have already been changed. This comes from a woman who came to me and said, Pastor Tom, I can't change. I said, that's a lie. Do you know Jesus? She says, yeah, I know Jesus. I said, then you've already changed. You need to know that Jesus changes you. And then you and Jesus can change your life. You don't need to change yourself. Jesus changes you. Number two, I fear change more than slavery. Pastor, why do you keep on using that term slavery? Because I want you to understand the depth of sin. We sanitize it with terms like addicted. And this issue, or that issue, but the reality is issue. And addiction. And slavery are all the same thing. We just like to sanitize it often so that we can feel better about ourselves. I know what slavery is, but I don't know what freedom is. I know what it's like in my past, but I don't know what it will be like in my future. I would rather go with what I know than trust the Lord who knows the future. Number three, I'm shackled by loyalty to my personal and family history. I have an identity. My friends see me this way. My family sees me this way. My coworkers see me this way. If I start worshiping God and if I change, I'm going to get criticized and they're going to belittle me. Maybe they'll even disown me. I need to be true to my family. I need to be true to my history. I need to be true to my race. I need to be true to my culture. I need to be true to my cause. I need to be true to my tribe. And the answer is no. There's one God. We live for him and nothing else matters. The next is I return to enslaving, enslaving habits. And maybe for some of you this is the case. You return to enslaving. You feel like you're lip free. you set free. All of a sudden you get into an argument with Joe Schmo on the street or things are difficult at work and all of a sudden you go back home to the thing, to the open up the refrigerator, to the thing that enslaved you because you still like to have a few bottles around just in case times gets tough to be able to medicate yourself a little bit. Or maybe it's you that likes to go into your office at night and be able to turn the computer on when you have a tough day of work and look at pornography because it's it brings you relief in your life. Some of you return to enslaving habits. You get stressed out. You download porn. You succeed and you allow yourself a little sin as a little bit of a bonus. Something bad happens, you pour yourself a stiff drink. Something good happens and you have a Bible study with Ben and Jerry and haagen You know, it's just bad habits that you just simply can't break. Because you're not meant to be the breaker of those habits. You're meant to work in union with Jesus. Number five, I, I practice self-deception about my past slavery. And some of us do this. Oh, we do it a lot. This is what they're going to do. Read the rest of, uh, of Exodus. Read all of Exodus. So here they are in slavery. God get us out. It's horrible. It's terrible. And right now is a good time. And he does. He gets it out. Remember, he parts the Red Sea. They're out through the wilderness. They have a little meeting, right? Remember the good old days when we were slaves? Yeah, remember that was? I miss those days when we had food in our stomachs. 
That's the conversation they're having all throughout the book of Exodus. Looking back on the slavery as if it was their time of freedom. Any of you ever do that? God gets you out of a situation, you get away from the situation and look back and you're like, oh, those were great times. No, they weren't. They were not good times. They won't be good times if you revisit them. You get out of some crazy relationship. Somebody's nuttier than a snicker bar, and you have never even gone out for coffee. You finally get the knot out of your life. You run away, and then you look, and you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. Yes, it was. They're crazy. They're insane. The situation was horrible. Run. But what happens is we get a little far away from things, and we say, well, it's not... Well, he was a nice guy or she was a nice girl. Yeah, he hit me a little bit. He bruised my eye up a little bit. But it's okay. He was a nice guy. Yeah, he beat my children to a pulp. But he was a great guy, a nice guy who hits you. Let's replay the tape a little bit. Those were bad days. Bad days. Any of you non-Christian become a Christian, honestly look back and say those were good old days. I miss those days. Boy, I wish nothing changed. It was great until Jesus showed up. See, that sounds ridiculous when I say it, right? But that's honestly how we do things, isn't it? I would never say that, but we do that. We exchange reality for fantasy in our lives. How many of you have old friends like this? You get together and you're like, remember when we were in high school? No, no I don't because we were alcoholics. And I blacked out from sophomore year to graduation. I don't remember high school. For for some of you, that was heroin. For some of you, you struggle with some difficult. Remember when we were back at Woodstock, all the pot that was around. Yeah, those days. It was awesome. Remember that time you threw up? Here's the reality. It wasn't that awesome, right? Some of you have friends like that. They want to talk about the old days and romanticize and fantasize about the old days. And they ingrain it into your head so very well that they make you think that the old days were the good days. Ecclesiastes says this, do not ask why you were the old days better than these because it's foolish to ask such questions. It's a slave mentality. Before I had God, I had good. That's how people live their lives. Before I had God, I had good. Before I was a nominal Christian and everything was great and I had all my friends and we were drinking around and it was a grand old time. Before I had God, I had good. You should have left me where I was. God should have never rescued me. He messed up my entire life. That's a slave mentality. It's a mentality that God has set you free, but you choose out of your own volition and will to live the opposite of freedom. You choose to place the shackles on your life. You burden yourself with the worries that God never intended for you to burden yourself with. Have you been set free this morning is the question. And here are my two points to you. Do you know Jesus? Have you given him your sin? Is he your Passover lamb? Is he your exodus and your freedom for your life? Is he your God? And if not, I'm going to ask you to give your life to Jesus now. 
You walked in here apart from him, but I'm praying that you will walk out of here with him. He goes before you like the pillar in the cloud. He walks with you never to leave you nor forsake you. Let him set you free and let him lead you to live free. If you're not a bit, uh, if you're not a Christian this morning, your biggest problem is not your behavior, not your conduct, it's your God. The biggest issue is your God. And that issue has to get settled before everything else does. The problem is, is that we like to sanitize people and the things that they go through. And we don't realize that at the foundational level that we can change behaviors and functions. They will revert back to behaviors and functions unless we deal with them at the most foundational level. And the most foundational level is that they need to find who their God is. That issue needs to get settled. Give yourself to Jesus and be set free. Then commit to a life of walking with him. And live free. Number two, for those of you who are Christians this morning, you have been set free and today by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live free. You can leave your sin here this morning. You can leave your folly here this morning. You can leave your rebellion here. You can leave your death here and you can walk with Jesus and you can walk out of here together. You can walk into a life group on Wednesday night. You can pray for one another. You can serve one another. You can help one another. That's why God spoke to all of his people. The way that we grow in freedom, the way that we walk in freedom is to understand that we're free. Free to what? Freedom, risen king. Freedom is for what? Freedom is for the worship of God. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. We're going to worship God. Risen King, Jesus has conquered the greatest foe and the greatest Pharaoh that has ever existed, and his name is Satan. And we have been set free, and we can live free. We have a Father King who loves us and adores us, and we get to take to the streets, and we get to sing and shout his praises from the rooftop. And we get to worship and enjoy him. And when we get together in song, that's exactly what we're doing. Free. You ever wonder why you get to church? Why you want to come in through the doors of a church? Why you want to sing together with other people? There's a reason for that. Free people have something to celebrate in their lives. That's why we praise. It's why we worship. Because we've got a party here every Sunday. We've got something to celebrate. God has done a work. He's broken chains. He's broken bondages. He's liberated us from enslavement. And he's granted us our freedom. Would you walk in that freedom this morning? He's calling you to walk in his freedom this morning. You don't have to do this alone, friends. We can do this together as a church. That's what it's all about.